Hello, fellow writers. You have found Catherine's Corner of the Scripturian Society, where we discuss specific books from the writer's perspective. Here with me, Carissa, aka Lewis, aka Catherine, we discuss the writer's side of reading to analyze some of the specifics that makes a book work or not work on a literary level. Spoilers incoming for the book in the title, so if you have yet to read it, maybe skip this until you do. If you have read it or have no interest in reading it, and whether or not you're a writer here for advice or a reader here for more content on a book you loved, welcome. Today we're going to be talking about the first in a YA trilogy by Michael Buckley, Undertow. What's unique about this book is that it's one of the few I've read in the YA field based on mermaids that isn't hopelessly cheesy. I think we all have this assumption that mermaid books are immature and silly and cheesy. Um, To Kill a Kingdom was good. Ash has told me Ingo was good, and I've liked some where the mermaid isn't the focal point, something like All the Stars and Teeth, but I honestly have not read many good mermaid books. Part of that is because they are few, and it's hard to do something well when you don't have a lot of inspiration to go off of. But it's also because mermaids are hard to do well. They're kind of like unicorns. They seem better suited to middle grade and younger ages for some reason. It's even stranger that Undertow is written by a man. Mermaids feel like a girl thing because mermaids, right? But I think Buckley did a surprisingly good job, so let's talk about how and why. The general premise of this story is that Coney Island, that's where it takes place, has been invaded by a class of sea people with varying species and a totally different culture who call themselves the Alpha. They have fled the sea for some reason and need to live on shore for a while, which creates all sorts of problems with the, you know, humans living there. Our main character is Lyric, who we soon learn is actually half Alpha. Her mother is one, essentially a spy sent ahead of the others, and she hid this from Lyric for most of her life. So Lyric and her family have to keep their heads low and stay under the radar of the government and the general public lest they turn on them if they find out. So we start out the book on the first day of school when the federal government, I think, has mandated that a contingent of Alpha students attend Lyric's school. Of course, some people hate this, and the Alpha hate this too, but everyone's in a tough situation being given direction from people in Washington who are not actually in New York to understand the tensions, and so craziness with a healthy dose of violence ensues. Do any of you remember the TV show Starcrossed? It ran for like one season, and it had Amy Teagarden and a bunch of other people you would probably recognize. Um, I liked it. It was a fun show, and... It was about aliens that, you know, crash-landed and then had to go to school with normal people. Undertow is basically the mermaid version of that show. So if you liked that TV show and you're into the mermaid idea, this book is probably for you if you haven't already read it. Um, The love interest thing was a bigger factor in the show, but there is a love interest in the book. I just don't think it was the most compelling aspect of the story, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. I want to talk more about heavy-handed messaging and mermaids. If you do remember Starcrossed, you remember how there's essentially this segment of the human population that gets really hateful toward the aliens and tries to kill them and experiments on them and all that jazz. You know, normal stuff. They don't want the aliens in the school mixing, God forbid, with their children who are teenagers and capable of thinking for themselves, but whatever. 
Undertow has a lot of similar conflict, and both of them are really just fantasy versions of the Little Rock Nine, which, if you don't know what that is, you should look it up. Um, But if you know what that is, Undertow is basically just a fantasy version of all the insanity that comes from, like, allowing teenagers to interact when they're different from each other. Anyway, um, in Undertow, you have some crappy politicians and protesters that quickly turn to riots and violence against even the humans that show, like, a smidgen of empathy for the Alpha. And all of this is absolutely stuff that would happen, and stuff that has happened over various issues over the years. I don't have a problem with its realism, but I did feel like it was a bit much at the beginning. I think Buckley was certainly trying to make a certain point about hate for people that aren't like us, but I think the fact that this was his first YA series when he usually does middle grade showed through. I am absolutely all for putting moral themes into books, I would argue that's basically the point, but middle grade books tend to spell things out, especially because their themes tend to be simpler. YA should be a little more nuanced, fair to all sides, even if one is considered the truth, and certainly more something the reader has to think through for themselves rather than be told. So Undertow came across like a YA message in the middle grade format, which is especially strange considering that sex and parental abuse are also topics that come up, so it's not like it was intended to be a young, young adult book. If you, as a writer, are writing for middle grade, make it fully middle grade. If you're writing YA, make it YA. I understand sometimes the lines are blurred, absolutely, but if your book is accompanied by darker topics too, I think that bumps it solidly into YA, so lean into that. Your readers will get your moral themes without it being spelled out to them. Trust them. They can get there. And if they can't, spelling it out will just annoy them into missing the point even more. So I just think Buckley went a little too hard on the message, making out the bad guys to be so purely bad that it frustrated me and took me out of it because I'm here for YA. I'm here for the nuance, right? And there wasn't much nuance, at least for the first part of the book. Then we get toward the middle, which is where I think it really picked up. It was still a bit heavy-handed with the moralizing, but we realized that Lyric herself is extremely bitter with and afraid of the Alpha because of how her mother lied to her about it her whole life. She has to grapple with the reality that she is like these people in ways she doesn't know and may not like. Her mother was essentially going to abandon her at one point when the wave of Alpha showed up on the beach, And Lyric is terrified of turning into a mermaid herself. So while she's offended and disgusted by the hate hurled at the Alpha, she does also sort of understand it and fear them herself, which is when it does get more nuanced and more interesting. And this is what you want to do with your YA themes. Make them more complicated than just an easy black and white. It's possible both sides of an issue are wrong about different things. It's possible they're both wrong about the same thing. It's possible there are more than two sides at all. At one point, Lyric makes my favorite comment, almost in passing, about how the Alpha didn't ask to assimilate, they just wanted to live their own lives on the beaches away from all of the humans, but how certain government officials wanted to integrate them, even though others really don't. So the fact that the Alpha are even involved is more of a human-on-human conflict and issue than a human-on-Alpha one anyway. Then, Lyric is forcibly paired up with one of the new Alpha students to show him around and befriend him, which does turn into a sort of romance, but more importantly, causes her to confront her fears and prejudices. 
He's claustrophobic, which humanizes him even though he looks completely different and is kind of an arrogant jerk. <laughs> um, she also learns that the problems between human and alpha are less about superiority and more fundamentally about the cultures being so different from each other. Fathom, who is her alpha friend, refuses to allow anyone to treat actual open wounds on him because the alpha see that as a sign of weakness. Any assimilation on their part is frowned upon, even learning to read. These are, of course, opposite how most humans would see things. We would see treating wounds as practical and rational. We would see assimilating and learning to read as a good thing. But Lyric grows to understand and even respect these traditions over time, even though spending time with him is confusing and it's putting her in danger from her fellow students who do not like that they are friends. She also has this weird principal who is initially a straight-up villain, but then turns almost into a likable ally. I did not ever expect to end up liking him, but by the end, I kind of did. When he first shows up, I was so angry at him and all of his arrogance, but he is on her side at the end of the day, and very few other people are. He's very morally gray, and I liked seeing that in an adult character who was not obviously intended to be a love interest. I'm sure there's a motive behind what he's doing that we're going to learn in book two, and that's the main thing that makes me want to read on. Writing complex adult characters is also something that is often lacking in YA because the focus is so on the teenagers, but make sure that if you're including any character at all, adult, child, teenager, whatever, that you give them detail and nuance. All of these details are great examples of complex moral issues to discuss in books. While it was a bit heavy-handed at the beginning, once the story delved deeper into these more debatable concepts, that's when I think it really became YA and started to shine. So my main piece of advice here would be to start out in your first chapter with the groundwork for moral issues you're going to discuss later on, as opposed to making a point right off the bat. When the story has just started and nothing has happened yet, readers are inherently going to feel like any moral point being pushed is being told to them, is being forced on them, instead of leading them to a conclusion. And you don't need to talk down to your YA readers like that. Obviously, you need to lay the foundation so readers understand what's going on later, but you can do that without coming out of the gate so strong, right? Slowly build to both your main point and any smaller statements you plan to make, as the story develops naturally. Then we have the love interest thing. Now, the love interest is Fathom, her alpha friend that she is forced to spend time with, right? The problem? He has a fiancé. Now, there are basically two things that are surefire ways to get me to hate a couple in a book. One, girl-forgiving jerk guy for truly horrendous initial behavior because he has, like, one or two redeeming qualities. And two, cheating. So, both of those were present here, and therefore I was not particularly rooting for them. But there are two reasons that this didn't ruin the book for me. One, it isn't a real main focus. The romance serves as more of a way to prompt interaction between the cultures more than anything else. And two, Lyric is self-aware. I hate it when girls in books are all, I can't control myself, I just want what I can get right now, even if he can't promise me forever, and this is stupid. <laughs> is it realistic? Maybe. But it annoys me, because contrary to popular belief, teenagers are in fact able to control themselves. 
their emotions are not always leading them. They do have self-control, and sometimes they even want other things more than emotional satisfaction at any given moment. They're not always the most mature about it, and they can't think through consequences maybe as well as adults do, but we can absolutely hold them to higher standards than excusing them for bad behavior because they were emotional at the time. So I liked here that Lyric, while she made some stupid decisions, owned up to them and acknowledged that they were bad choices and didn't use her emotions as an excuse to do bad things. Once she's caught having kissed a guy with a fiancé, she doesn't pursue him any further. That one emotional choice led her to be horrified with herself and take a step back. She doesn't go on a weird tangent about how they deserve each other and their love is worth it and how they're so important. She out loud says to the fiancé that she feels bad and that she knows it can't go anywhere and that she's not going to try. She acts like a decent human being, even if she made an initial mistake. And I appreciate that. Teenagers should be told that they can exhibit self-control. Sometimes YA books can feel like monologues about how it's okay for teenagers to act stupid because it'll all work out and that's just the way they are, which is neither true nor safe, even if it was. So if you're a YA writer or any writer writing teenagers, please hold them accountable. (laughs) It's okay to do that. Teenage hormones should not be a plot device, especially when we would denounce their behavior from any other character. Most teenagers are not going around sacrificing their dignity and beliefs just because a guy or girl is super hot. That wasn't my experience as a teenager, so I wish books would stop implying that this is how teenagers behave. They are at times irrational. So, for instance, Lyric has this sort of love interest with a guy she's been on and off dating, and her behavior around him makes a lot of sense. That's the kind of back-and-forth, confused, you know, fumbling kind of romances that most teenagers have. But I don't think most people can go around claiming that their hormones are in control when they have free will and the ability to make decisions. Yes, some of those decisions are harder based on your emotions at the time, but they're not out of your control. So I really appreciated that Lyric was both an emotional and logical and fair person in the way that she treated her actions and her emotions and everything, and I don't, I don't think that that's a rarity among teenagers. I also appreciate here how Lyric's internal monologue was not annoying. She muses on their romance for a while, but ultimately sticks to her guns. It wasn't this stupid situation where she's all, that's it, I'm gonna stay away, and then the second she sees him again, she melts. She actually holds herself to that, right? Again, she's in control of herself, and good for her. And I'll I'll say, I, I liked the fiancé too. Sometimes authors can make the girl being cheated on really unsympathetic to attempt to justify the cheating, which of course is super awful and does not make a difference even if true. But Arcade, the fiancé, still helps Lyric when a battle ensues. She's clearly not happy, but she doesn't give a stupid speech about how Fathom belongs to her. She just talks to him about it, right? which makes sense. That's what you should do in that kind of a situation. She doesn't like Lyric, for sure, but she puts up with her for the sake of using her as a weapon, essentially. My feelings about love triangles with two girls and a guy are typically this. Both girls should ditch the guy and become best friends without him. (laughs) This story is no different. I hope they become friends. If you're the kind of person that likes to write love triangles, can we please do this more? Can we just end love triangles with 
no one getting the love interest and the other two just being friends. <laughs> I would really like to see this more. I don't know if that's what's going to happen here because it's a trilogy and I have not read further than book one yet. Um, but at least make all people involved in the triangle equally interesting and, you know, some moral behavior would be nice. I'm really done with this whole because you're emotional, it gives you a reason to be a bad person type of thing that typically accompanies love triangles. I don't believe that all is fair in love and war. So, um, you know, just have your characters act like decent people and the less part of their character is them being a bad person. Um, uh, I'm getting off topic. Moving on. Another aspect I have yet to mention is that Lyric's best friend, Bex, is dealing with an abusive stepfather at home. This is probably the best moral lesson from the book for me because it was subtle while still clear. Lyric unabashedly helps her, inviting her to stay over with her, even though she's hiding her mother's identity from everyone, including Bex, even though it puts her family in a vulnerable situation. And I think Buckley is making this point that when enormous conflicts are going on, like a war or like a sea species appearing out of the ocean and throwing everything into chaos, small problems, like one individual living in an abusive home, still prevail. They may lose the attention of the police and people who should help, but they do still exist. Bex essentially has to live with the situation because her family is too poor to leave and the police are too overwhelmed to help her. And I really love the conversation opened here, not only about how systems need to be in place to help specifically people like this, but also how important it is to help your friends on an individual level. Sometimes we get so caught up in doing big things, right, and helping people in other countries or other states or strangers we've never met that we miss the people right in front of us. And it's just as important, maybe even more important, to help the friends you know well. It's not like you get less credit for it just because you love them, right? Like, Bex needs Lyric's interference, and Lyric essentially saves her life just by giving her a place to go and a person to call when things get tough. That's important. And these smaller issues are things that would still be going on during big picture emergencies. So I think it's cool that he added that subplot. If you're writing big war-type situations, whatever the genre, don't exclude the little details like this, the normal pervading problems that would still continue to make their dents in people's lives. They don't need to take over, unless that's what your story is about, but acknowledge they would still exist. It adds layers to the world, even and maybe most especially in an urban fantasy. Bex also has this sweet little romance going on the side, and I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but Buckley does boldly kill this love interest off. And again, for subplot reasons and not major ones, he doesn't die in a war, he dies defending her from her abusive stepfather. We rarely see those kinds of deaths in fantasy books like this, but I thought it was well done. I think it added to the idea that more is going on than just the big picture, that people have individual lives with small-scale but still important problems. And it was also a sad death because this guy was legitimately great. I never see these things coming. <laughs> they spend like a hundred pages happy and with no conflict, and I'm all, this is great, there's no way it's going to go bad, and it always does. <laughs> it's disguised as just a prompting for Lyric's thoughts about Fathom, but it does also take a turn, and I... I'm sure other people saw it coming, but I did not, so I thought it worked. Okay, now I want to talk more in depth about the mermaids. <laughs> I think there are generally two rules you have to follow to make a mermaid book work in an urban setting. High fantasy is a different story, but we're not going to talk about that here. One, the mermaids need to be scary. 
traditional mermaids just don't create enough conflict in an urban setting. So to make them work, you need to change them up. Get creative. What types of creatures would reasonably survive under the ocean? How would they interact? Fathom, for instance, is claustrophobic because there are no ceilings underwater. How would they develop their own prejudices, their food supplies, their weapons? What would they war over? How would a culture evolve underwater? This is essentially a rule with any magical creature. You don't want to be too derivative. But think about these things and transform your mermaids into something that almost can't be called a mermaid. There are a bunch of different species present in this book. Some of them have gills, some of them have scales, some have blades that come out of their arms, some of them can cook people alive. It's so cool. One of the species is more typically mermaid, but because they aren't the only ones, all the conflict and the culture roles feel realistic. Also, they hate being called mermaids, and that's the second thing. Pit the mermaids of your world against the stereotypes that the human world has. Don't pretend like humans haven't invented stories for centuries about sea people. If mermaids appeared on our shores right now, we would not abandon all our preconceived notions and accept their actual culture. We would try desperately to fit them into what we've always assumed mermaids to be. And I liked that these sea people were forced to live up to and undermine the stereotypes that existed in the human mind. It was this extra barrier between everyone and allowed for a lot of good world building in the contrast without it feeling exposition heavy. A third thing that's just a personal thing for me, I'm not going to say it's a 100% of the time rule, um, is the romance piece. Though there is a love interest in this story, I've said it's not the focus, I think mermaid books have a habit of leaning heavily on the romantic aspects, on, you know, the beauty of the mermaids and the romance of the mermaids. But there's no real reason that mermaids need to be attractive to human beings, <laughs> or vice versa. Can they be? Sure. But I think this is why mermaid books have become so cheesy over time. They're chalked up to fancy love interests with little personality. Give your mermaids a reasonable culture and then follow all the other rules of love interests and it can work. But trying to make a character fall in love with a caricature is just not enough conflict to carry a story. Don't lean too heavily on the romance unless it's specifically a romance book. Romance is present here, but it's A, the male, who is the mermaid, technically, um, which is at least different and kind of cool, and B, not the driving conflict. And I personally like that a lot because I think it undercuts any cheesiness that might exist otherwise. So, long story short, I did generally like this book. One extra little point I want to make is that the word sick is used a lot, as in these waves are sick, bro, and I just don't like that word. <laughs> I felt weird saying it just now. Um, I think it's also just too dated. Uh, this book was published around 2015, I believe, and I just think that word has gone out of style in most American households. <laughs> I don't know, maybe people in the Coney Island area still use it very liberally, um, but it doesn't feel like universal American slang anymore. And I certainly don't associate it with New York. So the thing to take away here is that I think you should be careful as writers to date your books too much by using current slang, especially slang that has a primary meaning that means the opposite and could therefore get confusing for readers down the line. I read the word sick several times thinking it was a bad thing, like a person was going to throw up or something, when it was actually just a statement more like, cool. So either use your urban slang in context that cannot be mistaken, or try not to use it at all. 
If it's a regional type of slang, treat it like fantasy slang. Make it abundantly clear from the start that this is a slang or curse word, as though your audience has never heard it used that way before, i.e. you need to use it a few times in dialogue. But this is probably subjective to how deep someone's association with a word goes to the slang versus the literal meaning. Just be aware that it may be misinterpreted, if even briefly, um, by someone that is not used to seeing that. So just try to make it as clear as possible in context. Aside from that, I did like this book. <laughs> uh, it was good, especially for a mermaid book, for which there are just not a lot of great influences to look to for guidance, especially in YA. I don't have the second book, but I probably will soon. I want to know more about these concentration camp-like places where they're sending the alpha and the people who defend the alpha. And I just like that Lyric is not an annoying main character. She's partly competent and partly aware of her lack of competence in other things, and I appreciate how uncommon that is in YA. So if you haven't read it yet, I would recommend if you're into the mermaid thing. Um, yeah. On that note, that's all for this discussion. Thank you for listening, and I will see you on the next page. <laughs>